Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We are uh, in the middle of a little two-week setup uh, or follow-up, I guess you could say, from our Extraordinary Series. You know, in, in, in the gist of our Extraordinary Series, we identified that God loves to use ordinary people To do extraordinary things. God loves to add his extra to your ordinary. Amen. And we look throughout the word of God and God was picking people that we deem great. Man, I wish I could kill a giant. I wish I could build an ark. I wish I could, uh, you know, lead people out of a lead an entire nation out of the grips of slavery. I wish I could do this and do that. And then we find out that these men and women of God were just Ordinary people like you and I. In fact, some of the people that we learned about or studied about um, were worse off than some of you and I are when you just really look at it. But God used them anyways, because God loves to show himself through his people. And so we began to identify that uh, to do great things, we, it's, it's all about the great one that's inside of us. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. And. So there is some identification that has to take place. I said last week that uh, this message that we're uh, studying and looking at now is probably one of the most missed messages in the church today. Um, I was about 18 years old when I saw the full uh, fruition of it in my life and uh, wish that I had heard it when I was younger. Amen. And just to let you parents know that your children are next door, are, they're next door right now learning this Along with you, they need to know who they are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. That is our identity. And so we've been talking about, I know you are, but what am I? We know who Jesus is, but who are we? We don't really know a lot about ourselves once we come into the kingdom. We don't really know a lot about this new life that we've come into. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's read this again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's your qualifier. Not anyone that's rich enough, anyone that grew up on the right side of the tracks, anyone that Uh, has enough schooling or the right background. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If we could take a picture of you now that you have come into the kingdom of God and get a profile picture of you, this is what you would look like. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at this verse in the amplified version. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation. Look at this, a new creature altogether. That word new does not denote uh, freshening up something that was old. That means getting something that never existed before. A new creature is so new, it's hot off the press, right off the assembly line. No one has ever seen anything like this before. That's the newness. See, I I can go and take my car that's got miles on it that I've been driving for a while, and I can go take it to the, the car wash, and I can get it freshened up, and it can look like new. But it's not new. But I can go to the dealership and get one that's never been driven before. That's got zero miles on it. Brand spanking new. And that is what Jesus, that's what this verse says. When we are in Christ, we are a new creature. New creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. The fresh and new has come. Now, I had a little talk with Brent this morning because he's a farmer and this word engrafted is a farming term. 
And I wanted to get a little more insight into this. And he answered my question. He went right where I thought he was going to go, right where I thought this word would take me. And in grafting, he told me that what you have sometimes is you've got a plant that's got a strong root structure, but isn't producing the fruit that you want. Your number one goal in life is to produce fruit. Not just to be a, a tree standing out in the middle of a field, not helping anybody. The tree that doesn't produce fruit in John chapter 15, Jesus said, we cut those down and we throw those in the fire. So your number one goal in life is to produce fruit of the kingdom of God. Well, when God put man on this earth originally, there was the root structure and fruit was coming off of it. But then man sinned, man disobeyed and bad seed got thrown in. Well, bad seed produces bad fruit. You know, seed always produces after its own kind. But what Jesus did, what God did, is he engrafted us. And so that's where they take a plant that is producing the proper fruit and they engraft it into the root structure of the one that's not. So you've had the root structure the whole time. It's been there. It's been there. You've got a spirit man on the inside that's dead to sin. On the inside, before you come into the kingdom, you couldn't make decisions to live for God and and be a light in darkness. You were darkness yourself. The darkness can't produce light. And so God had to take care of that. He said the root structure's there. The system's there. It's a spirit being possessing a soul, living in a body. The, the, the root is there, but I've got to get life. I've got to get, I've got to get fruit to come off of this thing. Fruit of the kingdom of God. Fruit of the spirit. We've got to get some love instead of some hate. We've got to get some joy instead of some confusion. We've got to get some peace instead of fear and anxiety. Amen. We've got to see some fruit of the kingdom now. We've got to see right decisions start to show up. So I'm going to take the root system and I'm going to engraft my son who is perfect into that root system. And now we have the opportunity to bear fruit. And that's what it means to be in Christ. In Christ is your identity now that you're in the kingdom. I like to put it this way. You are in Christ. So when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Now, you may be saying, well, if you knew what I was doing last night, you wouldn't see Jesus. If you knew how I acted last week at work, you wouldn't be seeing Jesus. Well, that's the new life on the inside. And now we have a a life, a goal for the rest of our lives as kingdom citizens to produce on the outside what's on the inside. Because you can put that seed in the ground, but if you don't take care of the seed, you don't get the fruit on the outside. But just because you don't see the fruit on the outside doesn't mean the seed's not on the inside. It's there. The root structure is there, and now you've been engrafted in Christ, which means we don't just see you anymore. We see Christ. In fact, if you read, you would read right before that verse in 17, Paul says, now we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. I don't look at you based upon what shows up on the outside. I look at you based upon what I know is on the inside. And that's what every farmer does this time of year. I know what's in there regardless of what's showing up right now. And I know one day I will harvest and I will pick fruit off of that thing. Because I know the potential that's inside. I know what's buried in the ground. And even though people drive by and just see a dirty, nasty field with dirt everywhere, I know that there's orange trees in there and apple trees in there and pecan trees in there and whatever else. I know what's under the soil and I know. See, you got to get around people that will believe in what's in you, not just regard you based upon what's on the outside of you. If you got if you're surrounded by people that just talk about everything you do and everything you have done, you got to get out of that group. Get around people that know what's on the inside. Get around people that are going to pull on greatness that's on the inside of you. Get around those people. That's called watering. 
and get in the word of God. Because this book, what's written in here, doesn't talk about who you used to be. It talks about who you're going to be. God loves to talk about who you're going to be. God loves to talk about who you can be. God loves to talk about who he wants you to be. God loves to talk about who he's created you to be. He's not a man of the past. He's already forgotten. He's moved them as far as the east is from the west. They're cast into the sea. They're gone. The only one that's bringing them back up is you. And the people that you're around. And you're probably bringing it back up because they're bringing it back up. And they make you feel sorry, so you feel sorry. Well, get in the Word and make you feel awesome, and then you'll feel awesome. You start smiling at yourself in the mirror and say, I am in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what Christ did for me. I value the cross. I value what he did. I value the price he paid, the stripes on his back, the crown of thorns on his head, the nails that went into his hands and feet, all the torment and torture that he went through. I value that so much that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am now. You don't talk to me that way. You don't look at me that way. You don't think about me that way. See, this is the identity we've got to come into. The church is in an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. And so we let other people tell you. If you don't know who you are, other people will tell you. They'll be quick to let you know. They'll define you. They will. You'll get in that world. You'll get in that system. And when you don't know, you'll just adapt and become whatever everything else around you. But that's not what Jesus said we're supposed to do. He said you're in the world, but not of it. You can be right in the middle of it and look completely different. You can be right in the middle of it and talk different and act different and respond different. Get five guys lined up. All of you, we're laying you off. You're losing your jobs. And all four of them are crying like little babies, don't know what they're going to do. And one stands there and says, my God's got all my needs met according to the riches in glory. Why? You're in the middle of it, but you respond different. You talk different because there's a different identification. You weren't identified as an employee. You weren't identified as a co-worker. You weren't identified as a, as a salesman or an engineer or a, a, a construction worker. You, that wasn't your identity. My identity is I'm in Christ. So whatever God's getting to Jesus, he's getting to me. That's your new identity. I want to just take you on a journey today through probably the most profitable book in the entire Bible, and that is the book of Ephesians. Every new believer, every new convert, every person that comes into the kingdom of God for the first time, this is where they need to go. This is probably, if you had to pick a book that was the most important to the believer's life, it's the book of Ephesians. And you don't just need to read it once. You need to read it over and over and over. It's God identifying who you are. And so I just want to take you through some verses. And we want to look at some stuff. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go through this as quickly as possible. But I will be stopping along the way to smell the roses. (laughs) We're going to stop along this path and... Look at some things, but here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Not will, not going to, not one day, not someday, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. In Christ. See, your ability to identify yourself in Christ will allow you to access everything that God has already done for you. If you can't identify yourself as being in Christ Jesus, then you're going to struggle accessing all the blessings and provision that he has for your life. It starts with your identification. If you don't know you're worthy enough, if you don't know that you've already, that God, how God sees you, that you're righteous, if you think that you still have stuff to work for, you'll never get a hold of it. 
But because God sees you in his son, well, you know he ain't withholding anything from Jesus. You know he's holding nothing back. You know he's grabbing and he's getting everything to Jesus and everything he's getting to Jesus, he's getting to you. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know it's according to God's good pleasure, his will, that you be seen the same way he sees Jesus. Holy, without blame, without blemish. It's according to his Goodwill to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one, in one all things where? In Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. What is the greatest way to get unity? Put it all in something. Get everything that you're trying to unify, gather it together, and put it in something. I believe today that the church is lacking unity because we're lacking identity. I believe the unity is in the identity because the church is to be in Christ, in him. But since we don't know we're in him, we're all scattered over here and scattered over here. And we got this denomination. We got this denomination. We got this. I believe this way. This is my opinion. This is how I see it. This is the way I like to read it. This is what I like to see. Instead of all identifying ourselves as in Christ, I believe if this kind of teaching would get in churches, we'd unify in two seconds because we'd all be in Christ. In him, he gathered all things together and put all things in Christ. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance in him. See, your inheritance is in him. So if you don't know you're in him, you don't have an inheritance. Your inheritance is in your identity. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 15. 15 on through 23 is what we call one of the Pauline prayers. The Pauline prayers. And these are prayers that Paul would pray for the church. We have it here. We have another one over in Ephesians chapter 3 that we're going to read in just a second. There's another one in Colossians where Paul is saying, I am praying this for you. And something exciting to do is to be in this daily. To exercise praying these prayers daily to yourself and inputting your name. Inputting your name. So let's read them. Verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he's praying. That the God of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where is Jesus at? Seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. 
That's important to know. That's important to know. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That is a position of authority. That is a position of power. Okay? Right hand, they didn't just say, uh, pick one, okay, I'll go with the right. No, the right hand is a, a position of power and authority. Okay? You need to know that. Far above all principality. See, darkness isn't like nipping at Jesus' heels. He's far above it. All principality and power and might and dominion. See, it's not, it's not, we're not saying that there isn't a power other than God's power. There's a power of darkness. There absolutely is a power of darkness. There's a power uh, of evil spirits, demons. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. But that shouldn't make any of us afraid because our power is far greater. At the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow. Bible says to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Run in terror in the opposite direction, that word means. Not just, okay, well, I'll try back tomorrow. No, he will flee in the opposite direction. But far above. All principality, power, might, and dominion. Every name that is named. Cancer has a name. Poverty has a name. Confusion has a name. Anxiety has a name. Sickness and disease has a name. But we've got the name that's above every name. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. He put all things under his feet. Jesus put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So Jesus is the head of the church. Watch. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness. The fullness. The fullness. The fullness. The fullness. That means Jesus, without you, is incomplete. It's time we stop thinking about Jesus over here and us over here. Without you, without Jesus, you're incomplete. And without you, he's incomplete. This is your identity. He's the head. We're the body. This is my head. This is my body. If you take the head off, the body dies. If you take the body off, the head can't get anything done. And so Paul is telling us right here that Jesus is the head of the church, his body, and we are in him. So the church is to be the body of Christ. Now, let's keep going because he didn't write this thing. Okay, chapter two, verse one. Now, this is a letter. Those numbers are only there so we know how to navigate and find things quicker. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who were dead. Who were dead. But now he's made you alive. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there's a prince of power. There's a spirit that will work for disobedience, just like there's a spirit that will work for obedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires uh, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ. Oh, Jesus is up in heaven. We're just down here just trying to barely make. No, you're with Christ. Where's Christ? In heaven. Seated at the right hand of the far, Father. All, far above all principality and power and might. And, and guess what? You're there too. You might feel like you're under it, but if you're in Christ, you are over it. Say, I'm over it. I'm 
I'm over it. Verse, we still in five. Made us, alive, made us alive together with Christ by grace. See, he's reminding you, by grace, you've been saved. Verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, if you read this every day for six months, you would be a different person. There's nothing that could stop you. There's nothing that could keep you down. There's no more identity crisis. This is who you are in Christ. You are seated together. You are raised up together. You are with Christ together. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his uh, kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Skip on down to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is who you are. This is a snapshot. This is your profile pic. This is what God has created you to be, what God has created you to do. You're no longer to be under anything. You're to be over everything. You're in charge. You have dominion. You have authority through Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. That's where you're at. This is your identity. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is the other Pauline prayer. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Have you noticed that both of these prayers have a lot to do with what you know? Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says that my people have been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What they didn't know was killing them. And Paul is praying here, I pray that you will be able to comprehend and know and understand with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That his spirit will reveal to your spirit that you'll be enlightened and illuminated on the word of God and who you are. You need to pray every day for illumination in your spirit, man. You need to pray every day for spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not head knowledge. It's not head knowledge. He's talking about understanding in your spirit, the real you, who you are in Christ. Verse 19, to know, to know, to know, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You got to ask and you got to think. Sometimes we're not asking and sometimes we're not thinking. So he's got nothing to work with. He does exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping 
of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. My gosh. He's not kidding. He wants unity of the faith. He wants unity of this right here. He wants us all to believe the same thing and think the same thing and talk the same thing and say the same thing. One thing that we as a church, Zaker Faith Church, have been identified, this is our 10th year in ministry, not here in Valdosta, but we started in St. Augustine, Florida 10 years ago in two months, in April. And over time, we began to come in to knowledge of some things and we began to see this unity take place. And we had people on the outside look on the inside and one word that gets thrown around a lot is the word cult. Like, when they say that, I wonder if they even really know what they mean when they say that. Or if they're just thinking of a worldly definition. But really, I don't have a problem with that. See, America hates when everybody looks the same. Especially in this nation. What do we preach? Be your own person. Be yourself. Do what feels right. I saw it on Twitter or Instagram or something. Do what you love to do. It's all about individuality. It's all about just whatever you want. And so when they see a group of people band together, locking arms, talking the same way, saying the same thing, acting the same way, it's cultish. Because what is a cult? It's a bunch of people that all do the same thing. But really the word cult is just the root word of the word culture. That's all it is. It's a bunch of people that operate according to a culture of another nation. A kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a culture. And so when you see a bunch of people that walk in love and don't walk in hate. You see a bunch of people that all are speaking faith, not doubt and unbelief. You get around and and they're all doing that. Sure, it can look that way. And that's what he's identifying here is there's a nature now that's inside of you because you're in Christ. You have a new nature. That means things that are that were natural before are no longer. It's unnatural for you to sin. It should be second nature to hate somebody. It should be second nature to cuss. It should be second nature to talk that way. It should be second nature to talk in doubt and unbelief. That should be so unnatural. It should feel uncomfortable. This doesn't feel right. This isn't natural to me. But the nature of the kingdom should be firsthand. That's what's natural. That's what makes me feel comfortable. Is understanding the culture of the kingdom and exemplifying the culture of the kingdom and the nature, the new nature that is in me. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge. There it is again. Knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. To a perfect man. That means mature. See, the difference between immaturity and maturity is is you being able to do something on your own. See, if I give Camden $100, he doesn't know what to do with that on his own. But as you grow up, you ought to mature and you should know how to be able to handle something on your own. I hope nobody in this room, except for... Uh, Jacob and Ellie over here, I I shouldn't have to hold your hand when we go to cross the street and tell you to look both ways. That's immaturity. A mature person should know to do that on their own. 
and not just go wandering out. I was talking uh, with Mike earlier. They had Brantley with them this past week, and they were taking him out fishing. And he said, Brantley, he just goes up to the dock and just keeps on. He thinks he can walk on water. <laughs> but hopefully Brent doesn't do that. Hopefully Brent just da 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 No, that's immaturity versus maturity. And so he's saying here that we should grow up into a perfect man, a mature man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I wish I could say the church was unified in the faith today. I wish I could say the church had the full knowledge of the Son of God. I wish I could say today that the church was a perfect man. But we've got, we, 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 we've got 10,000 people deep. But we've got no knowledge. We've got no maturity. I'd rather have 10 people that are strong in the faith and that are growing up spiritually than 10,000 that are weak and walk out running in the middle of the road, getting hit by trucks and falling into lakes. Got to get some knowledge. It comes with identification. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I wish I could say today that the church had the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But you know what? I don't think it's so much that everybody that calls themselves the church has to exemplify this. I think he's identifying what the church does look like. I think he's identifying that, look, you can put church on the outside of your building and you can say you go to church and you say you do church, but you got to be the church. And when you are this, now you're my church. Now you're the church that I have called. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You notice it doesn't say every wind of false doctrine. There's some doctrine out there that just because it's not against the Bible, it's been twisted and perverted. It says every wind of doctrine just thrown around by this doctrine. We don't need the Holy Spirit. Thrown around by this doctrine. If we don't have demonstrations and signs of the Holy Spirit in church, then you haven't had church. All the pastor did today was just teach. All that teach stuff. When are we going to run around? When are we going to lay hands? When are people going to fall over? Do- doctrines. doesn't say that you've thrown around by people that say Jesus isn't real and God's not really, the, he's not the only way. And we're not talking about Buddhism and Muslim. I'm talking about doctrines within the church. And we get blown around by every wind and we go chase this one. One day I'm a Baptist. The next day I'm Pentecostal. The next one I'm Church of Christ. The next day I'm a Seminary. Those are winds of doctrine and people are being blown around to and fro. Because we're children. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But look how we're supposed to live. But speaking the truth in love. Boy, we have a hard time with that today. It's either truth or it's love. (laughs) But he wants the truth in love. Look, there's some times that we can identify sin right out front and we can do it in such a loving way. That they know you have their best interests at heart. Love always has the other person's best interest at heart. Conviction has the other person's best interest at heart. Condemnation thinks about yourself. Conviction thinks about them. The devil comes to condemn, make you feel bad because it's all about him, drawing you to him. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts because he knows there's something greater inside of you. And that's what the church is to be doing. Speaking the truth in love. Love does not mean, well, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to tell. I mean, who am I? I can't judge. I mean, I, I sin too. No, Jesus said, take care of the bean pole in your eye so you can help your brother with what's in their eye. He didn't say, let them wander off with something stuck in their eye. 
He said, take care of your stuff first, but still help them. Galatians chapter 6 says that our heart should be to restore such a one that has failed. I'm afraid the church doesn't want to restore anymore. Are you prayed? You said the prayer? Okay, we're good. No. Restore. Get people back in the right relationship. Get people back to knowing who they are in Christ. That you're being identified with something that's not you anymore. Old things have passed away. So quit doing old things. Quit saying old things. Quit responding like the old man. Kill the old man and come alive in Christ. That's your new creation. Speaking the truth in love may grow up. Grow up. Grow up. We need to grow up. The church has got to grow up. This is our identity. Grow up in all things into him who is the head. So we got a, we've got a mature head with a little kid body on it. Grow up into the head. Got a Benjamin Button thing going on over here. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I love that. Every joint supplies. That means you've got to be connected to something. It doesn't say about what every muscle supplies or whatever bone supplies or what every uh, uh, body part supplies. It's what every joint supplies. So if you're not, because con- a joint connects. That's what a joint does. A joint connects the, the wrist. It, it, it connects the hand to my arm. If I don't have that joint there, I'm not connected. So it's what the joint. See, I can be an arm all by myself and I can be a hand, all, but you can't be a joint by yourself. The joint is connecting you to someone else. You're connected to someone else in here. That's the church. That's the body. This is our identity. By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Does its share. Pick it up its load. According for the... Effective working by which every part does a share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know, we ought to be strengthened by each other. <laughs> I got to hear a word today from Pastor Mark. You can get a word shaking someone's hand as you come in the door. You can get edification and strengthening from each other. I'm not the only one that can give encouragement. I'm not the only one that should give encouragement. In fact, I'm here to help strengthen you. The fivefold ministry is given to strengthen and equip the body for the work of ministry. I got to set up a meeting with Pastor Mark. You can call each other. I'm not saying I'm not there. I can meet. We can do it. But... The working of the body is that it strengthens itself in love. This is our identification in Christ. We've got to get to know who we are. The church that doesn't know who they are becomes what everybody else is. We're we're doing too much adapting to culture instead of creating culture. We're to be creating a culture in our churches. We're to be creating a culture in our homes. We're to be creating a culture in our workplace, in our communities, creating a culture, not just adapting. Oh, we're, we're over on the, the poor side of town, so I guess we're just, you know, I guess we're just always going to have to deal with poverty and lack. Uh, you know, I guess we're, that's the side of the railroad tracks that we're on. So I guess that's just, that's who, that, no, what you've done is you've just identified with what's around you instead of with what's in you. Well, it's what, I, it's all I've known. I, I mean, I, I grew up poor. I, I didn't, I always lacked growing up, never had enough. And that's just all I've known. You're identifying with an old rather than the new. And God is saying His word is saying that we've now got to become identified 
with the new, not the old. Become identified with what's been placed inside of us, not with just what's around us. And when you identify with what's in you, you change what's around you. Look, everybody wants to be a world changer. Everybody wants to change the world. Everybody wants to change their world. And this is how you change the world. This is how we change the world. We change the world by identifying with the culture inside of us instead of the culture around us. Could you change it? Could you be where the the buck stops here in this family? I may have known poverty and lack all my life, but it stops here. We're going to start claiming the blessings of the Lord on this life, on this family. And my children will know provision. My children will know sufficiency. My children will know more than enough. Doesn't mean I have to have a million dollars in the bank account. That means that we operate knowing that God will supply every need. Bill may get paid the day of. We may get new shoes for school the day before school starts, but we will be a family of provision, not lack. Changing the culture. Changing the culture. You don't have to be a drunk just because your dad was a drunk and his dad was a drunk and his dad was a drunk. The buck stops here. I'm changing the culture in this family. We're putting this curse down. My children will not grow up drinking that stuff. They will not see a dad that drinks that stuff. They will not hear parents that talk that way. The buck stops here. Changing culture. Everybody wants to change the world. Change your world. Everybody has a world. And if we would change our world, then we'll change the world. This is a kingdom right here. This is identity. This is identifying with what's on the inside of you. This is identifying with a new creation, a new culture, a new lifestyle, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of talking, a new way of responding. We always responded out of fear and, and, and confusion. And what are we supposed to do? No, we that stops here. I'm changing the culture. We have peace in this home. We don't have strife. You may have grown up in a house where your parents were always at each other. But it stops here. I call peace in this home. The Prince of Peace reigns in this home. There's no time for strife and division. And we're changing the culture. Well, I guess that's just what I'm going to have to do. I guess we're just always going to be each other. That's all I've known. That's how I saw my dad treat my mom. That's how I saw my mom treat my dad. That's all I know. Stops here. We change culture. You change because you change your identity. When we learn who we are in Christ, and this is just a tidbit. This is, I mean, we could go for a long time on who you are in Christ. But you've got to first understand that I'm no longer identified with what's around me. I'm no, lo- I'm no longer identified with what I used to do. I'm identified with who I am in Christ. It's time you start seeing yourself the way God sees you. It's time you start looking in the mirror and say, No, I'm not a failure. I don't lack. I'm not a drunk. I have self-control. I have self-discipline. I have more than enough. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is mine in Christ Jesus. Because I'm in Christ. Is Jesus sick? And I'm not sick. Is Jesus lack? And I don't lack. Is Jesus scared? Then I'm not scared. Is Jesus confused and worried? That I'm not confused and worried. I'm in Christ Jesus. Is Jesus a failure? Then I'm not a failure. Is Jesus a sinner? Then I'm not a sinner. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. You've been, re- you've been raised to new life. You've been raised to new life. It's time we start living the new life. Don't allow the newness on the inside to be squandered by the old life on the outside. Allow the new life to come out. Allow the new life to take over. 
and change your life, change your world, change your culture. Father, we thank you this morning. You've given us a new identity, a new life. Father, this new life leads us to a new purpose. There's so much we have to learn. There's so much we have to understand, but it all begins with our identity. For too long, we've been in the kingdom, but still operated like the world. Because it's all we knew. In learning the way of the kingdom, we have to unlearn the way of the world. But Father, I thank you that you are showing us today, revealing to us. We're coming into the knowledge. Father, I thank you for spiritual wisdom and understanding that our old life no longer needs to suppress the new life. Father, you've made all things new. And even when people around us don't see the new life, even when people around us don't see a new purpose, a new identity, new potential, Father, we see it because it's what your word says. And we value what you say over what other people say. We value what you've already said over what everybody else says. Everybody else, they can only speak to us based upon our past and our present, Father. But I thank you that from this day forward, we will be viewed based upon our future, our potential. Great is the work that you've done for us. Great is the work that you've done in us. And we are in Christ Jesus. In Him. In whom we've been redeemed. In whom we've been adopted as sons and children of God. In whom... Father, we thank you so much for sending your son. The price that he paid. The love that he showed. The grace that he offered. The mercy that he provided. Father, I thank you because of the work of your son. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not done by works, but it's been done by grace. And we thank you for the work that Jesus did on that cross. We thank you for the work that Jesus did. In being raised up again in three days. Ascending to heavenly places. Seated at the right hand of the Father. A position of power and dominion above all principality and power and might and dominion. I thank you above every name that is named. And you have raised us with him. We are seated in heavenly places. I thank you, Father, that we identify no longer with our past, no longer with our failures, but we now identify with our future. We identify with the love that you have shown us and the identity that you have given us and the purpose that you have called us to live out. We thank you for this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.